When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Hey, MD Nation. I just want to let you guys know real quick before we start the show that today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much to you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and refer this show, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, to be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. Again, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And now for the show. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are talking about the Sunday afternoon recaps of Week 8, or what will further be known as the Week of Upsets, the Week of Disappointments, really. And I said this on on Thursday heading into the week that when I looked at these matchups on paper, when I looked at the weather that we were possibly going to be looking at for a lot of these games, a lot of the uncertain circumstances going into the weekend, the buys that we had to deal with, that this was going to potentially be a pretty low-scoring game across the board. There might not be a ton of fantasy points scored. And I think of all the weeks so far, this has been the lowest week. Now, of course, we still have the Sunday night game that's going on as we're recording this on Sunday night. And we have the Monday night game, too. But this is shaping up to be one of the lower scoring weeks of the year. Kind of what I feared. And a lot of disappointments as a result of that. But also at the same time, we're going to have to keep in mind that it doesn't necessarily change a ton of fantasy value for different players moving forward either. But it does change it for some. And we're going to get into all that because we have a slew of games to go through in today's show. So we're going to dive right into it. We're going to talk about the Steelers. We're going to talk about the Ravens. The game of the week right off the bat, the 1 o'clock game. It was a good Hard fought game. It was a typical divisional Steelers versus the Baltimore Ravens type of game. There was nothing that this game had that I wasn't looking for, didn't expect. 
You're not going to find a high-flying type of game. You're going to find two good teams battling out against one another. We're going to start this off on the Baltimore Ravens side of the ball, on the losing side of the ball. Lamar Jackson continues to disappoint. From a fantasy perspective, he still gave you an okay floor, but two interceptions, a fumble, two touchdowns, just over 200 yards passing, less than 50% completion percentage. The only thing that really saved your fantasy day in any capacity was the fact that they rushed for 65 yards. Obviously, better days are ahead. We knew this was going to be a tough matchup for Lamar Jackson going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's why he was all the way down at our QB9 heading into this game. And he hasn't been that impressive throwing the football so far this season. Now, they don't have a ton of weapons, but he's not looking like the quarterback he was a year ago. He's looked like he's regressed in some areas, especially when it comes to throwing the football at a more accurate rate. This offense in general, the schematics in general, looked like it had regressed to some degree. But while Lamar Jackson was a bit disappointing for you coming off the bye, I do think better days are ahead for him. The silver lining for this Ravens team was that this is the first team that found a way to run the ball pretty successfully against the Steelers. Now, whether it's a combination of the fact that it's the Baltimore Ravens and their physical style of play, or the fact that Devin Bush isn't on the field, therefore they're a little bit more susceptible to the run than they would have been. Derrick Henry had an okay game against them the week before, and really he was more bottled up due to game script. And then the Ravens in this one came out, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins were excellent. Dobbins went for 15 carries, 113 yards. Gus Edwards went for 16 carries, 87 yards, a touchdown in this game. They were able to find a way to run the ball, which makes Lamar Jackson's passing stats all that more surprising because the one thing you have been able to do somewhat successfully against the Steelers to this point is throw the football on the perimeter. And if the running game was working as effectively as it was in this one, why play-action pass was not more utilized, was not more effective, is really anybody's guess, other than Lamar's just not playing well right now. Now, let's talk about... Lamar will turn things around. He'll continue to be a QB1 because of his rushing stats ability. And he does have the ability to turn things around the passing game. But as long as he keeps running the football, he'll continue to be a top 10 quarterback. You're not going to bench Lamar Jackson. So let's talk about something from a fantasy perspective that actually might be coming into effect over the next couple of weeks. It came out earlier today that Mark Ingram may in fact be dealing more with a high ankle sprain than a low ankle sprain which is why he wasn't able to come back, even though John Harbaugh insisted during the bye week that he would be able to come back this week. That wasn't able to happen. Then we find out today that he may not play next week. Because if he is truly dealing with a high ankle sprain, usually the low end of the timetable is four weeks. Now he sustained the injury two weeks ago, had the bye week last week, misses this week. That means he would miss week nine, and week 10 would be in jeopardy. We would expect him back no later than week 11, but week 10 would also be in jeopardy along with week 9, quite frankly, if we're we're following a true high ankle sprain timeline. They play the Indianapolis Colts next week. It's not a good matchup for the running game, but this wasn't on paper either, and they were able to find some effectiveness. There was a lot of things going on on social media asking asking the question, is the running game for the Ravens better without Mark Ingram? My answer to that is no. The running game is better when they have two running backs to focus on, one running back to be the Thunder, one running back to be the Lightning, than when they're trying to rotate this three-man carousel where nobody's able to get into rhythm because everyone is eating into each other's touches. 
And therefore, you kind of start losing an identity as a result. The one constant running back should be J.K. Dobbins. It should be J.K. Dobbins. What you want to use as a Thunder, whether it's Gus Edwards or Mark Ingram, you need to start using one or the other, not both. And the Ravens can work that out with whoever they need. They feel like they need to lean on whoever they think is better for what they need to do. But this, to me, shows what I've pretty much been talking about all year long, is that they look like in their running game, which needs to be their identity in the first place, it doesn't have an identity because they're too busy trying to rotate Dobbins, Edwards, and Ingram on equal amount of playing time. And therefore, nobody's getting into rhythm. The rushing game itself is not working the way it's supposed to. And if you want Lamar Jackson to have any chance to turn this thing around before your playoff run, you're going to have to get that back on track. It was more effective this week than it had been in any other week in the toughest matchup that they had played in any other part of their year because you, you narrowed it down to two running backs with two very particular roles. One to be the Thunder, one to be the Lightning. It wasn't predictable whether you are going to pass or run with either one of them on the field, but you brought them in for what you needed in different aspects of the game instead of having to rotate three guys. And as a result, Dobbins and Edwards were both able to get in rhythm throughout this game. So it's not better without Mark Ingram. It's better when they're just using two instead of all three. And we might get to see it one more week again against the Colts next week. If Mark Ingram does not play, Dobbins and Gus Edwards will both be low-end RB2s, high-end RB3s next week. You'll be able to play both of them even against the Colts because they're going to continue to lean on this rushing attack to get this offense going again. Now, we'll see how all that plays out. Of course, make sure you're following us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date on exactly what is going on with Mark Ingram throughout the week. As far as the receivers go, Marquise Brown, he was somebody who came in as a wide receiver too for us. He was somebody, when you looked at this matchup on paper, when you watched the film, because of the way the Steelers have been able to be taken advantage of on the perimeter, not so much up the middle, you thought Marquise Brown might be in line to have the mismatch for the Ravens on offense and might be in line to finally get a big play because he hasn't gotten a lot of those yet this year. Well, if you played him, he salvaged your day with a touchdown, but one catch for three yards and two targets It was absolutely disappointing. Willie Sneed was the big guy on the day. Five catches, 106 yards, and seven targets. Not something I'm looking at for fantasy football purposes moving forward or anything to that nature. But it was just kind of a weird game in the passing game. Mark Andrews, three catches, 32 yards, six targets. It's disappointing, especially when you're talking about a guy who you kind of rank or expect to be a top five tight end every single week. That's what you drafted him to be. That's why you spent probably a top four round pick on a Mark Andrews. But we also know going into this game, the Steelers are excellent against the Titans. We knew that there was a low floor in store for Mark Andrews possibly in this game. So I'm not worried about Andrews. He's still the main red zone threat. Still an argument to me that he's the number one consistent target on this team. Better days are ahead for Mark Andrews. I'm not really going to worry about that too much. But Marquise Brown is somebody who's just becoming increasingly more frustrating. Where now you have to start to look at him as more of a low-end wide receiver three And because he has been getting enough target share most of the time, not in this game, but most of the time, you can play him as a more consistent low-end wide receiver three, not necessarily a boom or bust option. But he's not going to give you that wide receiver two value, that home run threat value that you were hoping for. It just hasn't happened to this point. When they have easier matchups, I'm sure he'll have a couple of games the rest of this season where he will go off because he's just too talented not to. 
But he is not a must-play. He's a very matchup-dependent player. We're going to have to expect the Ravens to lean on a big play, on a home run threat, on a perimeter mismatch. Which I don't know if it's going to be too often this year. This should have been that matchup on paper, and it didn't turn out that way. It just makes him very, very high-risk player moving forward. Now let's talk about the Steelers' side. Not as much to talk about here. We knew Ben Roethlisberger wasn't going to be a streamer for us. He had 182 yards, two touchdowns. The big thing about him is that he played a clean game. And James Conner did what you were hoping he would be able to do for you, which is fall into the end zone because we knew he wasn't going to have a good game against the Baltimore Ravens either. You can't really run on that front too well. Three yards a carry, 15 carries, 47 yards. He did get three catches for 13 yards in the half point and full point PPR leagues, but he ran, he fell into the end zone, and that's really all you're hoping for out of James Conner in this one. Still dominated the touches out of the backfield, still continues to be an RB2. And they get Dallas next week, so he's actually going to have a chance to maybe have some RB1 potential in that one. Eric Ebron walks away with a touchdown. He continues to establish himself as hovering around that top 12 territory because he's now been consistently seeing five to seven targets over the past month. Four catches, 48 yards, finds the end zone in this one. That's all it takes to be a top 12 tight end. He's in that conversation when you're looking at the top streamers from a week-to-week basis, if he's even available in your leagues. Juju Smith-Schuster, eight targets, seven catches, 67 yards. That seems to be a more natural stat line for him right now. Basically, Smith-Schuster has become a high-end wide receiver three who can give you wide receiver two numbers if he happens to catch a touchdown. But otherwise, he's nothing more than a wide receiver three, which means he's not a must-play for me. He's not an automatic start. He doesn't have a high ceiling. If you're just looking for a guy who you know is going to get you about 60-something yards, and if he scores, will get you a decent day. Talking about full-point, half-point PPR leagues, I'm okay with him there, but he's only a wide receiver three. There's no ceiling to Juju Smith-Schuster this year. Excuse me. Just none. The part about this passing game that I really want to talk about, though, is something that I've been waiting for and harping on and I've talked about on this show numerous times in the past. I've been waiting for this day. Now, I, haven't, I don't have the snap numbers and the routes run in front of me, but I can tell you from having seen quite a bit of this game today, Chase Claypool, not only in the stat line shows it, but on the field it looked like it, played well ahead of James Washington with Deontay Johnson healthy and on the field. We'll get to Deontay Johnson in a second, too. Chase Claypool, five catches, 42 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. James Washington one target, had nothing to show for it. But it wasn't just the fact that Claypool was targeted eight more times and was much more effective player. It was the fact that he was on the field a significant amount more. Meaning, we may have finally witnessed the week that Chase Claypool has overtaken James Washington as the third established wide receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers. We may have finally witnessed that happening And if that continues to be the case, now it's one game, you can't automatically say that it's definitely going to be the case. But if that continues to be the case, then Chase Claypool will be a must-start because he will be a high-end wide receiver three with big play potential every given week as long as he is actually the third established receiver on the field when they go three receiver sets, which is most of the time. And he's out there all the time with Deontay Johnson, with Juju Smith-Schuster. 
This is the moment that I was waiting for. Now, I am a little bit hesitant to say that this is definitely how it's going to be from this week on, but this was the week that I was waiting for to see when this would happen, and it looked like it finally did. I mean, he was the lead target on the day. He did have a fumble, but they still went back to him, and he still wound up with a touchdown. Now, Deontay Johnson, he was obviously disappointing. One catch, six yards, three targets, He came off this field a little bit. He had to get checked out for a hamstring injury, but he came back into the game and finished the game. So I think we can have at least some confidence. Now, hamstrings can be a little bit tricky, and we're going to have to watch him throughout the week. But we can at least have some confidence that he's going to be okay for next week. Because next week they get Dallas, you're going to want him for that game. I still believe that as long as Deontay Johnson is healthy and on the field, he is the true number one wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The big story to me here is that it looked like Chase Claypool finally overtook James Washington. And that's what we've been waiting for, especially from a fantasy standpoint, from when we're going to be able to trust to play Chase Claypool on a week-to-week basis. Let's move into the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets here. Let's move into the game that I didn't want to bet because it was was a 19.5 stat line or a 19.5 line. The, The Chiefs did wind up covering... And they surprised me a little bit in this game. Now, Patrick Mahomes is my number one quarterback because it's Patrick Mahomes and the New York Jets, and you know there's nothing they can do to stop him. But it was a little curious, right? It was a little curious to see, were they just going to do enough to win because they knew they weren't going to have to do a lot to win? Or were they going to actually be the aggressive Kansas City Chiefs? They were the aggressive Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes threw the ball 42 times in this game. He was 31 of 42 for 416 yards and five touchdowns. 416 yards, five touchdowns, that's great. That won probably almost everybody who had Patrick Mahomes their week. But that's not, to me, that's not the storyline here. The storyline was the 42 pass attempts. Because at no point, they led this game from start to finish. At no point was this game ever in jeopardy. So instead of looking at this from an aspect of we could do whatever we want and win, they took it as our passing attack hasn't really been quite on point the way that it usually is over the past couple of weeks. And they haven't been. They've been a little bit shaky. There's been some questions. Have teams started to figure out what they can do to at least slow this offense down and frustrate Mahomes? So they took Andy Reid and this offense, took this opportunity against the New York Jets to decide, hey, you know what? Let's use this game to get right. Let's use this game to get our passing attack humming again. And boy, did they ever. The recipients on the great Patrick Mahomes game, Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 109 yards, a touchdown on 12 targets. We hadn't seen him put up that stat line in a while. Tyreek Hill, four catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. I could still say it's disappointing on Tyreek Hill's part. He still only had six targets. Out of 42 pass attempts, he only had six targets. We still haven't seen the big 150-yard, two-touchdown performance out of Tyreek Hill. Now, I will say... He's been much more consistent this year because he's scored in almost every single game so far this year than he has been in years in years previous where he was more of a boomer bust option. A high-end boomer bust option, albeit, but a boomer bust option nonetheless. He's been more consistent this season. But we're still waiting for that big, I won you the week by myself Tyreek Hill game. We still haven't had that one yet. We're still waiting for that. It's going to come. But it was good to see him get in the end zone twice on this one, get a 40-yarder in this one. And then Miko Hardman, 
Seven catches, 96 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. Demarcus Robinson, four catches, 63 yards, a touchdown on five targets. My opinion, my fantasy analysis has not changed on a Miko Harmon or Demarcus Robinson in the absence of a Sammy Watkins. It's two hit or miss which one it's going to be. There hasn't been one that's really established themselves over the other. They still use both of them quite a bit. And even though the stat line would say that Hardman was a little bit favored in this one, I'm pretty sure the snap count and the routes run are going to come out and say that it was still pretty close between the two of those because that's what it looked like it was pretty close between the two of them in this game throughout the game. So nothing's really changed from that standpoint. I'm not playing them unless I'm trying to take a dart throw home run ball hitter into my lineup because I need to take a chance somewhere out of an injury or bye week desperation situation. Can it pay off? Yeah, because you're you're the Chiefs offense and it's Patrick Mahomes and it paid off in this one if you took the chance here. But not something that I'm looking to attack. And we should be getting closer. It may not be next week, but it should be getting closer to Sammy Watkins returning. It very well may be week 11 because week 10 they have a bye week. So I'm not running out there unless I feel like I need to take a dart throw somewhere in my lineup heading into next week. Now, the other real story to talk about here with the Kansas City Chiefs is the running back situation. First of all, I was shocked that they did not make an effort. They didn't make any effort to get Le'Veon Bell the ball in their end zone. I thought for sure that they would make a note to try to get Bell a touchdown in this game. I, I really did. I I was I bet on Le'Veon Bell scoring a touchdown in this game. I was confident they were going to make a note to give him the, the ball in the end zone. They all their touchdowns. If you if you watched it on Red Zone or if you watched this game at all, all of their touchdowns except for one came from outside the twenty yard line. They were outside the red zone when they scored. It was it was just big play after big play after big play. There was one time that they were inside the red zone and it wound up being a shovel pass and they went they went five wide. They didn't even they didn't have Ch or Le'Veon Bell back there. They had no running back back there. And that was the only time they were inside the red zone. So I was just very, very surprised by that. That was number one. So he disappointed. But the real story here is that C.H. and Le'Veon Bell split their touches 50-50 down the middle. Both had six carries. Neither one of them were particularly effective, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire did have 3.5 yards of carry with 21 yards off his six carries, while Le'Veon Bell only had seven yards off of his six carries. But then you flip it on the flip side, you go to the receiving game, both had three catches, both had three targets, but Le'Veon Bell had 31 yards, CEH had 10 yards. So he was more effective in the passing game. The fact is they both had nine touches. Coming off of a week against the Denver Broncos where it was nearly 50% split then in Le'Veon Bell's first game. What this is indicating to me is that they're both high-end RB3s. Now, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here. I want to be able to pivot off of this at some point. I'm not going to sit here and say that CH is definitely no longer an RB2. Not only not not no longer a, a high-end RB2, and I feel confident saying he's no longer a high-end RB2, but not an RB2 at all. If this 50-50 split continues to happen, yes, both of them can have good games down the road because, again, this is the Chiefs offense. Everyone gets an opportunity to eat throughout the season. And it can happen in any given week. But those of you who spent a first-rounder on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think right now, with the way they've played over the past two weeks, with the way they've used these two running backs, with the way it looks like they want to use these two running backs, you have nothing more than an RB3 flex guy on your hands. Who you're hoping, hoping, 
is in a situation where it's the running game, it's the running back's unit turn to have a big game in this offense that week. It's not going to be game script. This was a game script that should have been scripted out for the running backs. It's not going to be game script. It's going to be, is this the week that you guys decided you're going to get the running backs involved, or is it Patrick Mahomes and the wide receivers? That's what it's going to come down to. And if it's going to be a 50-50 split between CEH and Le'Veon Bell, well, I guess we'll give Allaire a little bit more of the value. But they might be the same guy right now at this point. And we haven't seen the whole, when they get in the red zone, it's Le'Veon Bell. We haven't seen that come to fruition yet. We don't have that sample data size because we haven't been put in that position quite a bit, really yet, between the first two games of him being there. But I'm seeing a 50-50 split across the board. That I am seeing. I think they're both RB3s moving forward. So if you can sell CEH off of his name and the hype and people not believing in Le'Veon Bell being a good player anymore, do it. Because he's not an RB2 anymore. The Jets... Here's all I'm going to say about the Jets, because I don't want to waste any time on a team that doesn't have any fantasy value to begin with. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. I told you guys who were talking about LaMichael P. Ryan being a speculative ad, being somebody that you wanted to stash, being somebody you were confident could be a flex play. And I said, no, 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 no. Why? Because Frank Gore is still on the team and Adam Gase is still the head coach. And even if Adam Gase isn't the one calling the plays right now, which we'll see how much longer that lasts after this game, Frank Gore is still going to get too much work. They're not just going to hand it over to Perrine. They should, but they're not. It's not going to happen because the Jets, they don't do anything logical. Perrine had two less carries than Gore in this game. Same amount of touches because he had two catches while Gore was never involved in the passing game. Until James Crowder comes back, there's no fantasy value here. None whatsoever. So we're going to move on. To the Patriots, the Buffalo Bills. 
We're going to start off with the Patriots side of the ball. Now, I know from the NFL standpoint, people are going to be killing Cam. He had that bad fumble. It wound up costing him the game. From a fantasy standpoint, which is where we got to attack this from, what Cam did today is what you need him to do to continue to be a streaming quarterback option or to be at least a borderline top 12 option, which is what he's going to finish as because he had 54 yards on the ground. He had a rushing touchdown. And other than the fumble, he didn't have any interceptions. Now it's still ugly and through the air, and it's going to be ugly through the, through the air for the rest of the year. Plain and simple. They just don't have any real wide receivers. The wide receiver on the day was Jacoby Myers. It has seemed like since Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman have been out, Jacoby Myers seems to be Cam's favorite target. It wasn't just this game, but it also happened last week too. Now we don't know how much longer Nikhil Harry is going to be out. He could be back next week and he would become the number one target probably at that point. And I'm not suggesting that you go out and rush to go out of Jacoby Myers either. But if you're in a deep league and you need sleepers, you need guys who have a pulse, it's somebody to keep an eye on if he's out there for you. That's, that's the only no I'm going to give you that. But if you're in 10, 12-team leagues, which is what this show is more catered towards, I don't see a reason why you should be going after Jacoby Myers. Just something of note. The main thing I want to talk about is the Patriots did on offense today, even though it wasn't great, it wasn't prolific, but they did on offense today what I believe they're going to have to do every single week from here on out. Which is it's going to have to be built off of the read option game. It's going to have to be built off of whether it's Damian Harris or Sony Michelle when he comes back and Cam Newton running the football. That has to be the offense with occasional shots in the play action game. That has to be the offense. It was the offense today and it was somewhat effective. And Damian Harris, who there's no way... Anybody should have had any confidence in playing anyway. But he winds up getting 16 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown. He winds up having his second best game of the year. Or actually, this was his best game of the year. His second good game of the year, I should say. But him getting 16 carries is something that you haven't been able to count on. Now, I don't know if they finally woke up this game. and I don't know if it's because it was the Buffalo Bills and divisional game. But this is what they have to do offensively. They play the New York Jets next week. I see no reason why they shouldn't be attacking the Jets the same way they attacked the Buffalo Bills this week. Which means Cam Newton will probably be around my top 12 territory because as long as he uses his legs, he's fine for fantasy football. It's not going to be pretty through the air. Especially now. And as far as the running game goes, I'm still not going to suggest you play any other running back because it could just as likely be Rex Burkhead next week. It could just as likely be James White getting 10 targets out of the backfield next week as it could be Damon Harris getting 16 carries again. But if they start to show this on a more consistent basis, then we'll be able to gauge off of that. But we also have Sony Michelle possibly coming back soon. So the, the backfield is just a mess. The only real question here is we want to know, can Cam be a fantasy-relevant quarterback again, I say yes if they, do, if they do on offense what they did today, which is what they should be doing. Basing it all off of read option, running pound game with Cam Newton. On the Buffalo Bills side of things, Josh Allen continues to be bad. Bad. Now, here's what I'll say in his defense for this game. The Bills finally came in with a game plan that you know what? We're going to finally actually put an emphasis on the running game. They finally came in with that mindset. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Now, you're going to look at the fantasy scores, and you're going to say, oh, Zach Moss finally overtook Devin Singletary, and I'm going to tell you not so fast. 
It's still a 50-50 split. Singletary had 14 carries. So did Zach Moss. Singletary had 86 yards. The Moss is 81 yards. The difference was Moss is the one who fell in the end zone twice. Does this put them both in the RB3 flex conversation? Low end. Low end. Because this is also the first game that we saw the Bills put the emphasis on the running game, not on Josh Allen throwing the football. And teams running on the Patriots is nothing new this season. That has been the way of attack. So this very much could just been a weekly game-specific game plan. And we could go right back to Josh Allen throwing the ball nearly 40 times a week starting next week. So I still view them both as more low-end RB3s who I'd really rather not play until one either gets hurt or clearly establishes themselves in front of the other. Now, we thought it might be Zach Moss starting to take over. And like I said, if you're just looking at the fantasy scores, you're going to think that this game. But touch-wise, this was a 50-50 split. Passing game, they both only had one target. Now, Devin Singletary caught his, but they both only had one target apiece in the passing game. It was a true 50-50 split. And it just happened to be effective in this game, especially for Moss. Allen himself ran a touchdown in. That's the other factor you have to go with this running game most of the time, too. That's really what saved his fantasy day, because otherwise, he only had 150 yards, and he threw a pick in this game. No passing touchdowns. This is not a good Patriots defense. They didn't have Stephon Gilmore. Allen has me concerned. He's still going to be a top 10 quarterback, but I don't think you can really consider him a top 5 every single week like you were before. Stephon Diggs continues to have a high floor, though. I'll give him that. Six catches, 92 yards, nine targets. No matter how low the pass attempts for Josh Allen are, Stephon Diggs is going to be the guy who's receiving the overwhelming majority of that work, without a doubt. So Cole, as a result, though, they only threw the ball 18 times. Cole Beasley and John Brown were very disappointing in this game. Better days are ahead, I think, for John Brown. Cole Beasley, there's absolutely no reason to be owning Cole Beasley. I know he was a big pickup for people this past week because of how he's been playing as of late. But as long as John Brown is in the lineup, this is what you do to Cole Beasley. Prepare to be flushed. There's no reason to own him on your team as long as John Brown is healthy because there's only room for really one other wide receiver. And as we see, that's only in games where they actually decide they're going to throw the football. Now, I do think they're going to go back to this being more of a pass-first offense. Like I said, this is the first game we saw them actually put an emphasis on the run. And I think it was game-specific with the Patriots. But there's still a very low floor when it comes to Cole Beasley when John Brown's healthy. Let's move on to one of our terribly bad weather games that I think affected this game quite a bit, but had a lot of exciting things in it nonetheless. Minnesota Vikings come in to Green Bay in a cold, windy, terrible weather of a game and beat them in the upset all on the legs of Dalvin Cook. So I guess his groin injury is 100% healthy because he comes in and gets 30 carries. Never mind the 163 yards, Never mind the three touchdowns, on the ground that is. Never mind that, the 30 carries. If you had any question about whether or not Dalvin Cook was 100% healthy coming into the game, that right there pretty much told you all you needed to know. He also had two catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown there in the receiving game. A leading receiver as far as yardage goes. 
Adam Thielen, Jeff- Justin Jefferson both had four targets, three catches, 27 yards for Thielen, 26 yards for Jefferson. The passing game was definitely affected to some degree with the weather, but it was also the fact that Dalvin Cook was just so dominant. There was no reason to just not keep giving him the football. And because Minnesota was on the verge of pulling off this upset, they weren't going to suddenly turn around and put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands, who only threw the ball 14 times in this game. That's it. Only threw the ball 14 times in this game. Having flashbacks to last year, every time he thought he could possibly be a streamer, because he was a streamer in some people's eyes heading into this game. Every time he thought he could be a possible streamer, he wouldn't even throw the ball 20 times. Because Dalvin Cook went crazy. Now, if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, you've been waiting for him to turn this corner, for him to get in. Now, he's been great already this year, but this kind of marks the, let's get back to, I have the RB1 on the year, or at least one of the RB1s on the year. It's between Cook, Henry, and Calvin Kamara at this point. Better days are ahead for Thielen. Better days are ahead for Justin Jefferson. I don't think there's too many games where Dalvin Cook's going to be able to get 30 carries, 163 yards, and three touchdowns. I will say this, however, they do have Detroit next week. So it won't be outside the realm of possibility that Dalvin Cook will dominate so much that Cousins doesn't throw the ball that much again. But Adam Thielen's still going to be a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one. Justin Jefferson's still going to be an intriguing wide receiver three with upside option, especially in plus matchups. I'm not going to shy away from that. This was, this was game script. It was the environment. There was a lot of variables that went into this. Now let's flip things over to the Packers side of the ball where the passing game wasn't hindered that much. Aaron Rodgers, 291 yards, three touchdowns. He continues to be excellent for fantasy football purposes. And all three of his touchdowns went to Devontae Adams. 12 targets, seven catches, only 53 yards compared to his 200 last week, but three touchdowns in this game. The other thing that I was excited to see was Robert Tanyan. This was finally the game where Tanyan was able to show that he can eat alongside of Devontae Adams. Now, is that something that will continue when Alan Lazar comes back, which seems to be within the next two weeks? Maybe this week, but at least within the next two weeks? That's going to be determined. Because so far, we've only seen one other guy besides Adams be able to eat in a game. And a lot of times, it's just Adams. So that's going to be an interesting tidbit. Until that happens, though, Robert Tanyan continues to be a streaming option. Five catches, 79 yards on seven targets in this game. And then after that, it was, I mean, Jamal Williams, six catches, 27 yards. That was really the next pass catcher. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, in case you were wondering, one catch, 19 yards. He got out-targeted by St. Brown. I think they're, I think they'll be, if they don't make a trade, which they're actually rumored to possibly be looking into, if they don't make a trade, I think it's safe to say Alan Lazar will 100% be the second wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers when he comes back. 100%. Jamal Adams was solid in Aaron Jones's absence in this game. 16 carries, 75 yards on the ground. I mean, the only real difference between this game and last week was that he just didn't get that touchdown to kind of put him over that top, to put him in that elite territory on the week. But he still had a very solid game. It's going to be interesting to note in this one because since they play the 49ers on the Thursday night game, I'm going to be curious to see... If they try to bring Aaron Jones back, was it that they did they keep Aaron Jones out of this game so they could have him for the Thursday night game? Or was it that he really is still too hurt to do anything? He didn't practice at all last week. 
So as a result of that, is he not going to have a chance to come back in week nine because they their game's on Thursday night rather than being on Sunday? And do they say, you know what? We're going to continue to hold you out. We're going to hold you out till you get past the mini-buy because, frankly, and we're going to talk about the 49ers in, uh, a little bit later here in the show, they're not going to need Aaron Jones to win that game against the 49ers on Thursday night. I can tell you that right now with some of the, more of the injuries that were sustained by the Niners uh, to, in, in this afternoon's game, in Sunday afternoon's game. They're not going to need him for that. So if they're still trying to play it cautious and play it safe and they're still not 100% sure that he's 100% and you have a chance to get a little mini buy, and you don't really need him to beat the 49ers, because it's a Thursday night game, we might see Aaron Jones miss one more game. So all that to say, make sure if you have Jamal Williams, do not drop him just yet because there's a chance you're going to be able to use him for one more game. Now, is it a good matchup against the 49ers? No, it's not. But the good thing about Jamal Williams is that he provides you a floor because of what he gives you in the passing attack. So you're good there. So that's something we're going to have to watch. Make sure you're following us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep you up to date all throughout the week leading up into the Thursday night game. Now let's talk about the Colts and the Lions. This is another very, very interesting uh, storyline that we have to talk about in here. Before we get into that, though, we do have some injuries to talk about. Kenny Galladay left this game with a hip issue. We don't know what it's going to mean for him for next week. Unfortunately, he left this game with four targets and nothing to show for it. That's the unfortunate aspect of it. We'll see if when he's able to return. We'll see what he's able to do in practice. I'm sure, you know, you're probably listening to this Monday morning, this when we release this episode. I'm sure sometime Monday we'll hear about him going about to get an MRI and we'll hear about what the results are. And we should have a better idea later in the Monday or by Tuesday's show, which we'll talk about the Sunday night, the Monday night recap, and of course the waiver wire report. And we'll talk about it then if we have information about it then. If you're following us along, you'll have it as soon as it comes out. But we don't know yet exactly what the nature of his hip issue is. We just know it knocked him out of this game and puts him in danger for next game, which is really just adds to a frustrating season for a Kenny Galladay. And it was a frustrating game for Jonathan Taylor. I only saw bits and pieces of this game. I was kind of more in tune with some of the other games going on around the league. This game was pretty much well in hand heading into halftime. So I only saw bits and pieces of this game. And I had to go back and go over the notes to see, did, did Jonathan Taylor get hurt? And I'll go back and watch this game like I do watch every game before we head into the next week so I know exactly you know where to guide you guys after that. But Jonathan Taylor had 11 carries of 22 yards. I came into this game on Thursday. We previewed this game. And I talked about how there was hope for people who had Jonathan Taylor. If they were hoping that he was going to turn into an RB1 at some point, that it was possibly going to be this week. Not just because it was the matchup against the Detroit Lions, but because they were coming out of the bye. And what we had seen so far was that teams coming out of the bye had turned to their rookie running backs that following week a little bit more. They had made some adjustments to get them involved a little bit more. So I was saying there's a chance, because we know what Jordan Wilkins is. He's just a guy. We know Naeem Hines is relegated to the passing game. So there was a chance that if Jonathan Taylor in a great matchup comes out and they decide they're going to make him their identity, which I still believe is what they should do, even though they came out and won this game handedly, but it was the Detroit Lions. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's what they should still do. Then he would have a chance to become the RB1 that you were hoping for him to be. Not only did that not happen, but he was outplayed by both 
Wilkins, and Naeem Hines. He had 11 carries, 22 yards. Two catches for nine yards and three targets. Jordan Wilkins had 20 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown, while Naeem Hines had five targets, three catches, 54 yards, and two touchdowns through the air. He was outplayed in both facets by either Wilkins or Naeem Hines. What this solidifies is that, at best, this is a three-man carousel with Jonathan Taylor edging out the other two in touches on most weeks. Basically, what we had gotten to this point to begin with. That is the best-case scenario, is that next week, instead of Wilkins having 20 carries, Jonathan Taylor has 15, while Wilkins has 10, and Naeem Hines has three more targets than Jonathan Taylor does again next week. What this means to Jonathan Taylor, as of right now, unless Wilkins gets hurt or something drastic changes, you cannot consider him to be an RB1 or a guy who has potential to be an RB1 this season. In fact, he has to be considered more of a low-end RB2 because you are not going to be able to trust the workload. Now, I don't know if they're going to come out and say that maybe he was banged up and they didn't tell us, even though it looked like he played all four quarters. I don't know if they're going to come out and say, well, Jordan Wilkins had the hot hand. He was much more efficient throughout the game, so they decided to stick with the hot hand. They come out and say it was a hot hand issue, then you're going to be hitting the panic button on Jonathan Taylor. You're going to sell him off to anybody who still believes in the name value. Because if it's a hot hand issue, now all of a sudden you have to play him as a low-end RB2, high-end RB3, and hope that he's the one with the hot hand that particular week. But it's going to be hit or miss every single week with Jonathan Taylor if they come out and say this was a hot hand approach. That's the problem. It shouldn't be. But that's what we're looking at possibly right now. That's the big fantasy storyline because while the Colts took care of business, there's nobody in the passing game you want. T.Y. Hilton also got hurt in this game. He's not fantasy relevant anymore. Zach Paschal was the leading target on the day. Six targets, three catches, 44 yards. Why'd you want Zach Paschal? Trey Burton did score a touchdown, but he only had four targets for three catches and nine yards. The rushing, the touchdown he got was a rushing touchdown. That's not something, that's not something you're going to count on. All three tight ends play with, with, with Molelli Cox and Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle also scored in this game. The only thing really a fantasy note that you want to sink your teeth into is Jonathan Taylor. I'm okay with Naeem Hines in PPR leagues as a as a you know sleeper flex play if you if you need him because of injuries or bye weeks in deeper leagues possibly because he's he is going to get five targets probably every single game at least. But Jonathan Taylor was supposed to be the guy, and Jonathan Taylor has not been the guy. And then we have a similar storyline going on with Detroit Lions on the other side. Now, the Colts are a tough team to run on, especially when Darius Leonard is back in the lineup, which he was for this one. But what in the heck happened to DeAndre Swift? Six carries for a yard. Here was what more was more interesting to me. Kenny Galladay goes down. They're trailing this game by a ton pretty much the entire afternoon. And yet he only walks away with four targets, three catches, and 22 yards. That's it. That's all. In a game script which he should have been heavily involved in the passing game, and he wasn't. Now part of that was Matthew Stafford was throwing the ball down the field more so than he had pretty much all season long. Somewhat out of necessity. Somewhat because that was the most effective thing they could do offensively against the Colts. 
Don't worry about DeAndre Swift. Better days are ahead. He's still, in my eyes, a low-end RB2 right now. A high-end flex play. Even though he wasn't effective, he still had one more carry than Adrian Peterson did. Peterson will continue to still be a thing. That's the annoying part of this. But they're not going to be playing the Colts every single week, who are one of the top run defenses. And Swift still got four targets in this game overall, which is basically what you're sinking your teeth into, into him being a low-end RB2. He will have more carries than six for most of the weeks. So I'm not going to worry about it too much, but it was just a guy who's been coming in kind of hot as of late. Yes, it's a tough matchup, but you expect at least a decent floor out of, and it was just beyond pathetic uh, production. It was just shocking. We talk about getting Galladay. In his stead, Marvin Jones comes in and gets two touchdowns. Before you start going crazy, oh, Marvin Jones is finally back. He finally had a two-touchdown game, a multiple-touchdown game, something Marvin Jones is known for getting every so often. He still only had three catches for 39 yards. Now, he had seven targets. Marvin Hall also had seven targets, too, but we're not going to worry about him for fantasy football purposes. But this is the same thing we saw when Kenny Galladay was out earlier on in the year. Where Marvin Jones got seven to eight targets. He made you believe because he was getting the volume. It was heading his way. They treated him as the number one wide receiver with Kenny Galladay out. But he's not doing anything with the other opportunities. He happens to score two touchdowns in this game. But next time, it's just as likely to be three catches with 39 yards without the touchdowns. And that was kind of the beginning of the season. That's kind of how it went. If he scores, then you're okay. But if he doesn't, it's brutal. And it doesn't really matter if he's the number one target or not. So will Marvin Jones become somebody that a lot of people are going to own? Yes. Is he somebody who's going to probably be on our waiver wire report? Yeah, because without Kenny Galladay, if you're going to see about eight targets a game, if you're going to be a red zone threat, then you're going to at least be a wide receiver four, which is what Marvin Jones is going to be. And we don't know how much time Galladay is going to miss as of right now. But there's still a low floor here. So don't don't start going crazy because you think Marvin Jones is back because he scored two touchdowns this week. The guy I am excited about, who's actually the lead target on the day, 10 targets, TJ Hawkinson, 7 catches, 65 yards. He didn't score here, but the reason I'm excited about him is that he's getting more work now between the 20s. And I think he's actually going to be the most consistent pass catcher while Galladay is missing. So that's why I get a little bit excited about TJ Hawkinson, because we're, we're dying to find tight ends that we can sink our teeth into. We're dying to find tight ends that we can trust on a week-to-week basis. He's establishing himself as that now. Before it was, he was he was still as touchdown boomer bust as the rest of them because he wasn't getting much work between the 20s. Last couple of weeks, that's changed. And he's just more a focal point in the offense in general. And without Galladay, he could be the more consistent pass catcher. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. 
Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. So TJ Hawkinson finding himself in the top 10 moving forward. So now we move on into the game that I think was affected by weather. Now the final score was fine. It was 31 to 20. We're talking about the Bengals and the Titans game here. The Bengals pulling off the upset, another upset for the week. But the weather definitely affected this game in the sense of neither one of these offenses were as sharp as they normally have been up until this point in the season, especially the passing games, especially on the Titans side of the ball. Ryan Tannehill was only 18 of 30, 233 yards. He did have two touchdowns, but also threw a pick. Only had 20 yards on the ground. He was okay for fantasy football purposes. He had an okay floor for fantasy football purposes, coming in as our QB 10. Against the Cincinnati Bengals, he really should have had a better day. Now, the wide receiver who did show up, Corey Davis, eight catches, 128 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. He is reestablishing himself as a wide receiver three. He's not going to be in the wide receiver two category. He is seeing a similar number of targets to A.J. Brown. I wouldn't say that one wide receiver is more targeted than the other on a weekly basis as of right now, but what I will say is that A.J. Brown is definitely the more talented wide receiver, the more dynamic wide receiver, and the guy they will lean on to make a big play more and more. But with Adam Humphreys out, Corey Davis is the one who gets rotated in and out of the slot a little bit more. They move him around a little bit more, where they've been keeping A.J. Brown, for the most part, on the perimeter. And as a result of that, they're going to find themselves in situations with A.J. Brown. Now, defenses will be able to take him away and game plan to take him away a little bit better. That's kind of what happened in the Cincinnati game. They did an excellent job of just keying on A.J. Brown, and they were like, if you're going to be this with Corey Davis, have at it. Have at it. That's kind of essentially what they said, and that's what wound up happening. That's why Corey Davis has such a big game. Now, he had 10 targets. A.J. Brown still had seven. He saves your day with a touchdown, but only four catches, 24 yards. Better days are ahead for A.J. Brown. I am still of the belief that A.J. Brown is more of a low-end wide receiver one than just a wide receiver two because of his dynamic skill set that he has. And the fact that, really, the Titans' offense as a whole didn't play as well as they normally do in this game. Now, I'll talk about a guy that I am a little bit more concerned about, and that's Janu Smith. Two targets, two catches, 29 yards, while watching Anthony Ferguson also go for two receptions for 36 yards, but have three targets in this game. Now, overall, do I think Janu Smith is somebody that I'm moving on from? No. Overall, do I think Janu Smith is still somebody who should be considered a top 10 tight end? Yes. However, I will say that it's very frustrating right now. Now, it's three weeks in a row that he's been bad. The third week ago, you, you you throw that out because, oh, you know what? It was an injury in the first quarter. Anthony Ferguson actually wound up having a huge game that game, so Janu Smith was probably in line to have a huge game that game. What are you going to do? That's one of those things you kind of chalk up. That's football for you. The following week doesn't have a great week, but it was against Pittsburgh Steelers, who are very good against tight ends. They just held Mark Andrews in check. So again, I'm like, okay, it was the matchup. This was the game that he was supposed to get back on track to being what he was in the first four weeks of the season, which was a top five tight end. And I must play every game. This was the game he was supposed to get back on track. Now, there was some bad weather in this game. Like I said, it definitely affected the passing games to some degree. Definitely affected the offenses to some degree because neither one of them was as sharp as they normally were. But two targets with no Adam Humphreys a guy who should be a surefire thing, a guy who operates on the underneath range, and yet 
two targets. This is concerning. Now, like I said, I'm not moving on from Janu Smith yet because he's still a tight end who has a lot of talent. He's still an offense that is favorable to the tight end position. And right now, those two things are enough to keep you on track. But if he has another bad week next week, and they don't have a great matchup next week, they have Chicago next week. Now we're going to talk about him as more of being in the 12 to 18 range of tight ends, the the number of tight ends that are in that range that we talk about as streamers every single week. If he has another game where he has two targets, because you can't keep throwing a guy out there who only has two targets a game. There's been certain situations for the past couple of weeks. This game, there's no excuse for it. So if he's not at least targeted or more involved in the offense, especially if there continues to be no Adam Humphreys next week, then we're going to have to slide Janu Smith back into that ever-growing range of tight ends that are all streaming options. And he won't really be a top 10 for us anymore. As of right now, he's still a low-end top 10 tight end in my eyes. But that could change really soon. And that's the one guy I'm going to be watching moving forward. Derrick Henry was great. 18 carries, 112 yards, and a touchdown. But what I am going to say about Derrick Henry for this tight ends team, now they've lost two games in a row. The biggest thing that was the common denominator in these past two games is that they couldn't get the running game going until the second half when the other team was already up by multiple scores. Now, like I said last week, the good news about Derrick Henry's fantasy value is that it doesn't matter what the game script is, they never abandon the run. And that stayed true in this game too, just like it did in the Steelers game. But for this offense to click the way it needs to for Ryan Tannehill and their fantasy, and his fantasy owners, A.J. Brown and his fantasy owners, to continue to get what they expect out of their guys every single week, Derrick Henry's going to have to get going earlier in games so the play-action pass is working earlier in games, and they're not forced in a situation where they have to just go off of volume or finally get it going, everything going in the second half. They're going to have to start becoming a better first-half offense, essentially, which is going to revolve around getting Derrick Henry going earlier in games rather than having to wait till the second half for him to finally start get going or finally be able to get the running game going in general. So that's something I'm going to wait to see if that happens to the Tennessee Titans or not. Ryan Tannehill is still a guy who's going to be a top 12 quarterback for us. Derrick Henry, obviously, RB1. A.J. Brown, we talked about him. He's still going to be a a wide receiver one, a lower end wide receiver one, but a wide receiver one nonetheless. Corey Davis is the one his fantasy value changes as long as Adam Humphreys is out of the lineup. Because when Adam Humphreys comes in and they kind of eat into each other's work as the second tier targets to A.J. Brown. But when he's out of the lineup, there's enough there for Corey Davis to establish himself as a high-end wide receiver three who in favorable matchups can give you a little bit more upside like he did today. Like, I, I don't like saying it because Corey Davis, whenever you start to trust Corey Davis, he's one of those guys, whenever you start, whenever, just when you start to trust him, just when you start to think that you can play him, he'll pull the carpet out from under you. Because that's the type of player he's been his entire career. But he's been a lot more consistent this season, especially in certain situations that have become more predictable for myself to gauge to know when it's a good time to play him. So that's my advice to you guys when it comes to Corey Davis. He'll probably be on the waiver wire report if he's still less than 50% owned because he was heading into the weekend. We'll still see if he is come Tuesday. On the Bengals side of the ball, Burrow was solid. 249 yards, two touchdowns. He didn't throw any picks. Didn't do much on the ground, though, either. And it was really surprising because he had none of his starting offensive linemen. None. They were completely on their backup squad. And they played pretty well. Pretty surprising. 
Heck, even Giovanni Bernard had four yards of carry. Now, some of that is because the Tennessee Titans defense, I've been, and I've been saying this all year, is is terrible, especially against the running backs. But they're not they're not good at all. So some of it was that. What was kind of interesting to note was that Samaj P. Ryan was involved here. He had 10 carries and 32 yards and a touchdown to G.M.I. Bernard's 15. They used him in those short yard situations. They used him at the goal line. Now, once when the Bengals were really running their true offense, Bernard was the guy, but it was kind of interesting to see him go from being pretty much getting all the touches to all of a sudden Samaj Perrine is a thing. I know I keep getting LaMichael Perrine and, and Samaj Perrine, their, their last names mixed up. Sometimes you hear Perrine, Perrine, I don't know, whatever. Samaj Perrine now, this shouldn't be a thing because we are expecting Joe Mixon to be back out of the bye. We're expecting Joe Mixon to come back in week 10. We think that's a big reason why they held them out to this point because you're a team that's not playoff bound. Joe Mixon has a big contract. He's going to pay the most money on your team, most long-term commitment to on the team right now. You're not going to, you're not going to bring a guy back for really what's... I don't want to say meaningless games, but not important games for a guy that you need for the long run. So my expectation as of right now is that we're going to see Mixon come back after the bye week. Now, for those of you who have Genevieve and Bernard and you are a Joe Mixon owner, that doesn't mean you go ahead and, even if you're not a Joe Mixon owner and you happen to have Genevieve and Bernard, that doesn't mean you go ahead and drop Genevieve and Bernard during the bye week next week. I know that some people are going to be in situations where they have to make roster decisions in order to get a decent lineup in there. I get that. You can't drop Bernard until you know for sure that Joe Mixon's going to come back. Because otherwise, you're still holding on to a guy that gives you RB2 level value every single week until Joe Mixon's back in the lineup. So you can't move on from the bye week. You're going to have to stay strong. You're going to have to hold on to him because you don't want to put that diamond out there on the waiver wire, potentially. But as of right now, we do expect Joe Mixon to be back week 10. And when he comes back, they're going against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's not going to be easy. And we're actually, while recording the show, we just got an alert that Avery Williamson is going to be getting traded from the Jets to the Steelers. So we just talked about how the Ravens were able to run on the Steelers more effectively than any other team, and whether that's more about Devin Bush or whether that's more about the Ravens or a mixture of the two. Well, that's not going to be an issue so much anymore with Avery Williamson back there. While he's not quite Devin Bush, it does ensure that teams aren't going to be able to start running on the Steelers anytime soon. <laughs> that, that, that does do. So that just came across our desk while recording this podcast uh, on on Sunday night. So you guys can be available to you guys Monday morning. As far as the wide receivers go, AJ Green. AJ Green is probably the good epitome, the good example. I just gave a quote, Corey Davis. As soon as you start to trust him, because he had three games in a row now where he was targeted in double digits. He was getting seven, eight, nine catches, 80, 96 yards. The only thing he was missing was a touchdown. Some people were subscribing to the theory out there that AJ Green was on display so he could get traded this week potentially. Just when you start to trust him, is a good matchup against the Tennessee Titans. He's been the leading targeted receiver. Alden Tate out of nowhere. Alden Tate comes in, seven targets, seven catches, 65 yards. And I bring up Alden Tate because he really stole the role from A.J. Green, who had five targets, two catches, and 19 yards. That's it. Now, like I said, the passing games were not as sharp as they normally had been up until this point, some to do with weather. But T. Higgins still had a decent day, six catches, 78 yards on nine targets. Tyler Boyd still had a good day, six catches, 67 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. All of a sudden, A.J. Green became the fourth targeted wide receiver on this team. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, what, it's... So AJ Green, a guy who had worked his way back into our rosters and possibly into our lineups this week because it was such a good match and because of what he had done the last three weeks in a row, goes right back to prepare to be flushed. It's absolutely frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. Now, here's the only reason that I would maybe not flush AJ Green down right away. And I would wait, I would wait until the trade deadline. And the trade deadline is this Tuesday, I believe, at 4 o'clock. There is a chance he gets traded. And I would hold out for hope that Green gets traded to the Green Bay Packers. That's what I would hold out for. If he were to get traded to the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers and be automatically the number two wide receiver, even when Alan Lazar came back, then that would be a very interesting situation for your fantasy football value purposes. Most of your waiver claims don't clear till Tuesday night and the Wednesday morning anyway, so there really would be no reason to drop A.J. Green before the trade deadline. But it's the only reason why I'm keeping my, keeping my eye on A.J. Green. But if he stays on Cincinnati, send him down to Flushtown. Because even when he starts to give you these games again, it's going to happen. They're going to go back to him again. They're going to target him again. But when he starts to give you these games again, you're going to know in the back of your mind that at any given time, they're going to move away from him. And you can't afford that. So let's move on here to the Raiders. Let's move on here to the Denver Broncos. The game that was probably the most affected by weather today. That was clear because of the kicks that you could see. Daniel Carlson had a kick where it was heading right down the middle. And it took off and curved and just curved right out of the goalpost, right for a miss. That's how you knew you were in for one heck of a day. Neither one of the passing games were very good. Both, I mean, Derek Carr went for 112 yards. Baker Mayfield went for 122 yards. It was absolutely terrible. Baker got you 41 yards on the ground. That's probably the only reason why he did anything fantasy-wise, and he actually had a passing touchdown, too, or Baker didn't have anything. But it, it was horrendous. But the only team that really was able to take advantage was the Raiders. Now, Miles Garrett got hurt in this game. And if Miles Garrett's going to miss time, then the Browns are going to be a team that are a little bit more susceptible to be able to rerun on than they have been so far this season. And Jacobs, while he didn't score, 31 carries, 128 yards. Outside of Derrick Henry, I don't know if there's another running back right now that I trust to get a workload like Josh Jacobs does, where I, I trust you're going to get plus 20 carries in almost every single game, and it might even be closer to 25 to 30 carries. He's getting crazy amounts of workload. And while he's not necessarily involved in the passing game on a consistent basis, the way that we were promised from the Raiders coming into the season, because he's getting this kind of a workload on the ground game, it doesn't really matter. And also, when you add in the fact that none of the other running backs, it's not like Jalen Rashard is the bona fide passing down specialist either. That hasn't been the case either. So the fact that there's not a running back who's they is their go-to passing down specialist and Josh Jacobs is getting all of these carries, it lets you know that you don't have to worry about necessarily his floor or his, I should say, his ceiling when it comes to overall touches. 
You don't have to worry about it. He doesn't score in this game. Still get you over 128 yards, though. Josh Jacobs continues to be a low-end RB1. As far as the passing game goes, Darren Waller, I mean, it was just, it wasn't pretty. The, the weather was not conducive for any receiving game. Waller had five catches, 28 yards on six targets. Renfro happened to score a touchdown in this game. Ruggs should have had a touchdown, but it wasn't called. Nothing really changes there, okay? Waller will still be a top six tight end. And as far as the other receivers go, Ruggs is still played as a wide receiver for a boomer bust option, depending upon the matchup. Nothing changes there. On the Brown side of the ball, Kareem Hunt continued to disappoint. I mean, really, where was where's this RB1 production that we were looking for in this Kevin Stefanski system since Nick Chubb's been out? It hasn't been there. Now, there's a silver lining in that for Nick Chubb owners, which is when he comes back, he goes back to being the number one ball carrier. It wasn't that Kareem Hunt played so well that all of a sudden you question how much you play Nick Chubb if Kareem Hunt was doing well. Because I think that was something that was on everybody's mind, especially given the length of time that Nick Chubb was going to have to miss. You question, like, hey, if Kareem Hunt's looking like an elite running back out there, do will they give Nick Chubb his old you know, workload back? Will he give his old job back of being the starting runner while Kareem Hunt does more of the passing down work? Well, because Kareem Hunt hasn't really been able to take advantage of it, it's not all his fault, but he hasn't really been able to take advantage of the fact of being the only real running back that they're using, it comes safe to say that Nick Chubb, who we expect to be back in Week 10 after their Week 9 bye, is going to come back into being the lead ball carrier. And for those of you out there who are questioning who's the better running back, well, I think we can we can answer honestly that the better at least runner, Kareem Hunt's still probably better in the passing game, but at least the better runner is Nick Chubb. So when I expect him back, I expect to come back, be a high-end RB2, and I expect this Browns offense in general to get back to what it wants to be, especially with no more OBJ for the rest of the season. They're going to want to lean on Chubb and Hunt even more so once they come back from their bye week in Week 10. 14 carries, 66 yards in a game in which you had to run the ball in order to move the ball against the Raiders, who are a tremendous matchup on paper for all running backs. As far as Jarvis Landry goes, he winds up with his typical four-catch, 52-yard stat line this year. But what I expected to happen, at least as far as the volume and targets goes, did happen with no OBJ. He had 11 targets. He had double-digit targets in this game. So while his stat line wasn't great, keep in mind that the weather was a big factor of that. The fact that he had 11 targets with no more OBJ is my argument as to why his floor, if nothing else, has definitely risen from a fantasy football perspective from being a guy that, honestly, I was borderline on whether you need the roster anymore to a guy who should be an established wide receiver three from any given week because of the floor that he might have now due to the volume. So I'm going to... that. I think to me solidifies my argument moving forward, even though his stat line was pretty much the same as it had been every single week. Again, a lot to do with weather. A lot to do with weather. This was probably Austin Hooper, as of now, is expected to come back in week 10 after their bye. So this is probably the last week we're going to see of Harrison Bryant and David Njoku uh, getting as involved as they have been to this point. So let's move on now to the Rams and the Dolphins. We got to talk about the Rams. So we're listen, I'm listening to the broadcast during this game, and I hear the announcer ask, or not the not ask, but say that the Miami Dolphins are for real. This is a for real team, 
And I don't want to take anything away from the Miami Dolphins here. But my immediate thought was, is it that the Dolphins are real or are the Rams fake? Are they a fake 5-3 and three team? And outside of beating up in their own division, they haven't done much. And we questioned the offensive play calling. We questioned the offensive makeup on this show on Thursday when we're on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network from 12 to 1.30, live every Thursday and Friday. We questioned it then. And I said, look, until they find a way to be able to establish a deep threat, whether it's through a certain player or whether it's through play calling, teams are going to squeeze them. And look, the, the defense of the Dolphins, the special teams of the Dolphins, just completely dominated this game. We're going to talk about how that affected the offense in a second. But the Rams were down, what, 28-10 to 10 going into the halftime? Looking like they had no life on offense whatsoever. Now, Darrell Henderson gets a little bit banged up in this game. We're going to have to watch him. He was able to come back and finish the game. But as a result of that, you had Malcolm Brown, who had ten actually led the way with 10 carries for 40 yards. Cam Akers got involved with 9 carries and 35 yards. Henderson had 8 carries, 47 yards. I know in the stat line, you're going to say to yourself, oh, well, I thought we had Daryl Henderson already established himself as the lead guy. He got injured in this game. Now, if this affects it for the future, that's what we're going to have to see. You're going to follow us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow to keep you up to date on that. But this had more to do with Daryl Henderson getting banged up than it had to do with Sean McVay suddenly going back to a three-man carousel. So if you're just looking at the box score, that's kind of what was going on there. As far as the actual game flow, Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times. Because he had to because they were down so much because of the way this game went. So he finishes 355 yards. He finishes a touchdown, two interceptions. Has a fine fantasy day if you actually streamed him against the Dolphins due to the sheer volume of this game. And Cooper Cup and Robert Woods had wide receiver two light games like what you drafted them for. So you were happy with their box scores at the end of the day. The overall theme here is that while you're happy for the most part with the Rams box scores, as far as your fantasy football players that you care about go, the game itself left me concerned, maybe even more concerned than I was going in. Robert Wood scores two touchdowns in this game because he had a rushing touchdown. He also got seven catches for 85 yards on eight targets and a touchdown. Cooper Cup had 21 targets. 21 targets on 11 catches on 110 yards. So while those stat lines are all good and dandy, it took Jared Goff against the Miami Dolphins, who haven't been nearly as good in the defense as they were supposed to be coming into the season, especially in the secondary, throwing the ball 61 times in a game script in which they had to do nothing but throw the ball to move the ball to get back into the game, or at least try to. For them to get you these wide receiver two stat lines, or in Robert Woods' case because he gets the two touchdowns, will probably finish in the top, top ten. To get these high-end wide receiver two stat lines that you expected these players to be on a weekly basis. Because until this point, it's been at least a month since we've seen these guys get these kind of stat lines. 21 targets for Cooper Cup. Let's come back to that number. 21 targets. I took him throwing the ball 61 times. Now they go on by next week. And then they come out of the bye and they play Seattle in Week 10. So I'm holding on to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods for that game against Seattle in Week 10. Because one, it's Seattle. That's number one. So you're, you're expected to be able to take advantage of that matchup. You should have a good game. But number two, they had good games this week. 
They have another good game against Seattle, which they should, regardless of how this offense is operating right now. They should. Most trade deadlines, we talked about this last week, most trade deadlines are week 12 for your fantasy football leagues. Week 11, you sell high on Cooper Cup and Robert Woods coming off that Seattle game, coming off this good game, and then coming off what should be a good game against Seattle. You sell high on Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. That's what you do. So that's what we're going to be looking for moving forward when it comes to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods here. That's my advice to you guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. On the Dolphins' side, the ball to a tag of Voa. He gets his rookie debut. We're all wondering, what's that going to mean for Devontae Parker, for this passing game, for Miles Gaskin? And what we found out was that we learned absolutely nothing because of the way this game went. <laughs> Miles Gaskin had 18 carries. He finishes with a touchdown. He wasn't very efficient, but you knew it was going to be kind of a tough matchup against the Rams. been playing pretty well defensively. Did have three catches for 16 yards on six targets. Was actually the lead target guy on the day. But again... You can't take anything offensively from the Miami Dolphins in this game because of the turnovers that they had on defense, because of the special teams touchdowns that they had, they didn't ask Tua to do anything. He only threw the ball 22 times in this game. They didn't ask him to do much. Jalen Ramsey did leave early on in this game, but again, they didn't ask him to do much. Devontae Parker gets a touchdown, so if you actually had the courage to play him on Tua's rookie debut against Jalen Ramsey, what you thought was going to be Jalen Ramsey for most of the game before he got knocked out. If you had the courage, he saved your day with a touchdown. But he only had two targets. Preston Williams had five targets on the day. Two catches, 15 yards, but he still had five targets. If you're looking for where the target share went, it was Preston Williams and the running back. Mike Gesicki, one catch, eight yards, two targets. I mean, that's honestly not much different than some of the stat lines we've been seeing out of him with Ryan Fitzpatrick anyway. But you're left with basically no data as far as what to expect of this passing game against the Arizona Cardinals next week in week, or I'm yeah, in week nine against the Arizona Cardinals in a game which you would expect will probably be a little bit more back and forth. The Cardinals have a better offense, or at least an offense that's playing better right now than the Rams do. Expect to be a little bit more aggressive, a little more back and forth. Tua Tagovailoa is going to be asked to do more in that game. And unfortunately, you were hoping to maybe learn something from this game moving forward with some of the guys that you you fantasy interest in, especially Devontae Parker. Because he's the guy who's been the wide receiver too that you want to see, like, can you maintain that? And you kind of got left with not really knowing anything because you didn't even get to see anything. So that's the unfortunate part. So you're going to have Devontae Parker going up against Patrick Peterson, the Arizona Cardinals, and you're not going to really know, is he truly to his number one read? Is he truly to his favorite target to go to? 
because he wasn't in this game, but you can't really take much out of this game at the same token. So that's going to be the question that's left for us heading into next week. Let's move into the Chargers and the Broncos. 31-30, Drew Locke and the Broncos pulling it out in the end. Pulling it out in the end. The Chargers finding yet another way to blow a big second-half lead. And they're up 24-10. They're up 24-10. No, I'm sorry, they're up 14-3 heading into the half. And they were up 24 to 10 heading into the fourth quarter. And they still lost this game. I don't know how they do it. Them and the Falcons and Detroit, those three teams, they just find ways to shoot themselves in the foot. Now, Herbert was fine from a fantasy standpoint. Three touchdowns, two picks, but 278 yards, tacked on 21 yards on the ground. He was fine from a fantasy standpoint. He maintains his top 10 quarterback status. Mike Williams finally had his first game, this is his first game, where he was actually targeted a healthy amount alongside of a healthy Keenan Allen, who still got his double-digit targets again this this week. Nine catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown for Keenan Allen. But Mike Williams, eight targets, five catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. This is the first game we've seen Mike Williams actually get targeted alongside Keenan Allen. The big difference was that Hunter Henry got his targets cut down from seeing 7 to 8 to only seeing 4 in this game, 4, four catches, 33 yards. Henry, kind of like Janu Smith, is falling more back towards that, you're going to fall into that 12 to 18 range where you're becoming now more of a streaming tight end, even though you had the name power, you had the talent, but your production line has been too consistently weak to just plug and play you every single week now, automatically at least. The other interesting note, so um, well, first let's, let's harp on that real quick. So what does that mean moving forward? Well, it means Mike Williams to me is still a speculative ad. I still look at him as more of being a low-end wide receiver four because this was the first game, this was the first time since Justin Herbert's taken over that we've seen Mike Williams be able to be targeted at a significant level while Keenan Allen is healthy. It's the first time we saw it. So we can't assume that this is now going to be the new norm. Okay. We know that playing the Denver Broncos, the best way to attack them is by throwing the ball on the perimeter. So it could have been just a game plan situation that we popped up in to be. We'll be watching this. It's definitely a sign in the right direction, especially for someone like me who likes Mike Williams, but not something I'm suddenly going to be like, this is how it's going to be from here on out. The real narrative we got to get into is the running backs. Is this a three-man carousel now? Now, Justin Jackson, he got 17 carries, 89 yards, which that in and of itself is probably more than I was expecting against the Denver Broncos, who have been very stingy against the run this year. And a Chargers running game that's been inconsistent so far this season, especially since Austin Eckler's been out. He also tacked on three catches, 53 yards on five targets. So Justin Jackson gets 20 touches in this game. Justin Jackson gets over 100 yards from scrimmage in this game against the Denver Broncos, which is really good because they play the Raiders next week, and you wanted to be able to have some confidence in being able to play a Chargers running back in a plus matchup like that. And I'm still going to say that I think you can play Justin Jackson as a low-end RB2, high-end RB3 next week. He is going to be that. He is going to be in this value in that range. But there's an additional headache, it seems like, that comes with the Chargers now. 
all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and I, I caught this game like in the middle of this game, basically, and I had to ask myself, was Jackson hurt? I was trying to look all around, because all of a sudden, Tremaine Pope, out of nowhere, gets heavily involved in this game. 10 carries, 67 yards, and was the lead targeted running back out of the backfield with 7 targets, 5 catches, 28 yards. Out of nowhere, Tremaine Pope comes in. They made a comment, Anthony Lynn talked about how he's been disappointed with the running game, they need to get it going. Somebody needed to step up, which maybe led to Pope playing more in this game. But Pope, here's the thing about Pope, he's the same running back as Justin Jackson. They're both smaller guys, probably best suited for passing down situations, who are quick between the tackles so they can do it. But neither one of them are physical guys. Neither one of them are short yardage guys. They have the same skill set. The guy who's supposed to be different, who's supposed to live their thunder, is Joshua Kelly. And by the way, Joshua Kelly... Prepare to be flushed. On the off chance that you were still holding Joshua Kelly because you thought Justin Jackson's injury prone or that he's going to be more of the goal line guy... Yeah, there's no if Tremaine Pope is going to be involved here, you can't play. There's no scenario where you can play Joshua Kelly. There's no scenario where he can even be considered definitely the handcuff if something were to happen to Justin Jackson before Austin Eckler comes back now. There's not. He played ahead of Joshua Kelly in this game. In every facet of it. Carries, receptions, and snaps. So you can't Joshua Kelly can't be owned. Like I said, because Justin Jackson still walked away with 20 touches and was good in this game. And maybe playing Pope lit, lit a little fire under Jackson's butt. I don't know because, like I said, they are the same player. I do expect Justin Jackson to be the guy who gets the majority of the work against the Raiders, which will make him a low-end RB2, high-end RB3 guy. That's the guy I'm going to trust out of this backfield next week. But I'm going to be watching this very, very close because all of a sudden, until Austin Eckler comes back, we may have a three-man carousel on our hands. Because this was no accident with Tremaine Pope. So we're going to see what happens there. Now, let's move on to the Broncos side of things. Drew Locke was having a terrible day. Came alive in the second half. Came alive really in the fourth quarter. Three touchdowns, 248 yards. He's not somebody who's established himself as a, as a streaming quarterback by any means. What we have to get into is the passing game. Because that's what we want. We, Tim Patrick was out. He had been the lead receiver to this point since Cortland Sutton's been gone. What was going to happen with this passing attack? More specifically, what was going to happen with Noah Fant? Well, Noah Fant was good. Seven catches, 47 yards, nine targets. He doesn't score. Not a huge not a huge yardage, but people were worried that Albert O all of a sudden was going to be getting worked in enough or maybe this was becoming a 50-50 split. That wasn't the case. Now, Albert O does wind up with the touchdown, but it was his only target of the game. His only target of the game. In a game in which they had to throw the ball a ton to come back to win this game, that was his only target of the game. So this is still Noah Fant, the tight end. This is still his team, still his offense. You can still play him as a low-end tight end one. So that's the good news there because people wanted to fire that out. The next thing was going to be, where does Jerry Judy fall? Is he able to take advantage of being the number one target? The answer to that was to some degree, to some degree. But he was definitely the number one target. 10 targets, 4 catches, 73 yards. Deshaun Hamilton had the better stat line, 4 catches, 82 yards, a touchdown on 5 targets. Deshaun Hamilton ceases to be anything the second Tim Patrick comes back, which could be as soon as next week, but we just don't know yet, coming off that hamstring issue. 
But Jerry Judy was the lead targeted guy, so there's a floor there. He's still nothing more than wide receiver four because he doesn't seem to have the same ceiling as some of these other rookie wide receivers have had. And just the way he gets utilized, it's still going to be very inconsistent because his quarterback is very inconsistent. But somebody needs to be having rostered. K.J. Hamler does walk away with a touchdown, but he's not anybody who has a target share that you want to be a part of, and he's really more of a guy that if he hits a big play, great. If not, you can't. Let's move on to the 49ers and the Seahawks. Let's start on the 49ers side of the ball where their their injury rows are just insane. Jimmy Garoppolo, again, has to exit because he was just he he's not healthy. He came back from that high ankle sprain too soon. It's not healed. He's been trying to play through it. If he plays against a sub-quality team, he's able to perform well enough. If he plays against a quality team like he did against Seattle, he looks terrible, which he looked terrible in this game. They pull him. Nick Mullins comes in. And Nick Mullins, I think this is what they should do. I think Jimmy Garoppolo should start every game, play a quarter, and then then play Nick Mullins. Because when Nick Mullins actually has to come in as a spot play in the middle of the game as the backup coming in to take over, that's when all of a sudden we see Nick Mullins play great. 15, 18 of 25, 238 yards, two touchdowns. It's when teams are actually game-playing to play Nick Mullins that it goes out the window. So that's what they should do. They should be like, all right, yeah, Garoppolo's our starter, play him for a quarter, pull him, and then play Nick Mullins for three quarters, and they might actually get the production that they want out of him. Brandon Ayuk, we had him ranked as wide receiver two. He wound up performing. He had 11 targets, eight catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. If you just look at the stat line, you're not going to be upset by that. The thing was, it took Nick Mullins getting into the game to finally get Brandon Ayuk going. He wasn't doing much in the first half. Neither was, Brandon, neither was Kendrick Bourne, frankly. But I guess you can make the argument that the offense wasn't either. It was also kind of concerning that it took George Kittle going out of this game with a foot issue. Now, the x-rays already came back on that. They said it's negative, so he doesn't have a fracture. But they're still going to have to do the MRI to see what kind of strain or sprain we might be dealing with here. So And because they play on Thursday night, who knows? So Brandon Ayuk might be left there out there on an island all by himself, possibly. Tevin Coleman also left this game. He, he started the game as we expected him to. He was the starting running back. He was actually looking pretty good. He had three carries of 20 yards. Then he gets hobbled, leaves the game early, never comes back. Again, Thursday night game, they may not have any of these guys. So Ayuk did perform well for you and get, and gave you what you needed him to. Next week, they play the Green Bay Packers on that Thursday night game. Like I said, he might have a decent floor because he might be the last guy left standing. But he's going to see J.R. Alexander more so than not in that game, which is going to make his ceiling a bit capped, even though the Packers on paper might look like a decent option. So we're going to go through that for you guys when we talk about that game and preview that game on Thursday between 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android or WWSRN on iOS on your apps. Best way to listen or watch live. So with Kevin Coleman going out early in this game, Jamichael Hasty did wind up taking over. Jared McKinnon only had three carries for a negative yard. That was it. He was involved in the passing game, though, I should mention. Four catches, 40 yards, and four targets, where Hasty was had one target in that, in that game. He wasn't involved in the passing game at all. All came in the second half, obviously. Hasty came in. He had 12 carries. Now, they weren't able to lean on the running game because they fell behind early, but he had 12 carries. It wasn't efficient. He had 29 yards. Two yards of carry, basically. He did walk away with a touchdown. He got a goal line touchdown. 
So if you somehow played Jamichael Hasty in your flex for God knows what reason, because if you did, you probably were not listening to me. You're probably not a part of NBA Nation to begin with. Then he wound up salvaging your day. But I do think this game solidified it in my mind of what I had already thought previously, which is Jamichael Hasty's just a guy. There's nothing special about him. And while, yes, the Shanahan system has turned people who were just guys into studs before, I don't think he possesses that skill set. I don't think there's anything special about him. I don't think he looks great. I don't think he looks explosive. I don't think he has this crazy amount of balance. I think you're dealing with Jarek McKinnon, who they said he's dealing with tired legs. Well, now he's had two weeks where he didn't play that much. I think there's a chance, especially since Coleman's not going to play, I think there's a chance McKinnon winds up being the starter against the Green Bay Packers. Unfortunately, there's going to be no way to know. And unfortunately, even though it's the Packers and it's a great matchup and it's the 49ers rushing attack, unless you have the cojones to play both Hasty and McKinnon, which I don't think anybody should and I wouldn't advise, I think you're going to have to skip out on the 49ers running back who does well. If you have a great inclination and you think it's going to be Hasty, go for it. I'm here to tell you right now, it could just as easily be Jared McKinnon on Thursday. It it just could. And after watching Hasty be really nothing against Seattle, after watching McKinnon be more involved in the passing game when they had to finally call on him to actually play a little bit more because Tevin Coleman went out in this game. Sorry, McKinnon's the much more effective back. He just is. I unfortunately don't think you're going to be able to play a 49ers running back against the Green Bay Packers on Thursday, and it's going to be a missed opportunity. But if you guess wrong, you are going to be in a bad position coming week nine if you have if you guess wrong on which running back is going to be on Thursday. And it's anybody's guess as of right now. Hopefully we'll find out more information, but typically with Shanahan, we don't. We don't. On the Seattle side of the ball, uh, Russell Wilson continues to be great. Four touchdowns. DK Metcalf reestablishes himself as a wide receiver one. 12 catches, 161 yards, two touchdowns on 15 targets. Tyler Lockett wasn't much in this game. He was unfortunate. Four catches, 33 yards on five targets, but it was just a huge DK Metcalf game like it had been a huge Tyler Lockett game the week before. I do believe that both of these guys will get back to having weeks where they're both doing well at the same time. You don't want to have this situation where it's like, oh, is this going to be just a Lockett week or is it just going to be a Metcalf week? I do think you're going to get back into games where they're both going to have good games at the same time. But this is going to be a factor sometimes when it comes to Metcalf and it comes to Lockett. I think you have to continue to play them both as as wide receiver ones, though, as low-end wide receiver ones. It might be a little bit more inconsistent than some of the elite guys. That's why they're not going to be in the top five, maybe, necessarily, in our rankings going into each week. But because of what this passing offense is doing, because of what Russell Wilson is doing, because of what they had the capability to do, you're going to have to continue to play them with that kind of value at stake. Now, I wound up being all DJ Dallas. Travis Homer wasn't really involved much. Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson did wind up getting ruled out in this game. DJ Dallas wasn't great on the ground. You weren't expecting him to have an efficient day against the 49ers, but 18 carries, 41 yards. He does score a touchdown. He actually scores two touchdowns. He scored one on the ground, one through the air. We have five catches and 17 yards. It just goes to show that if you have the bell cow back of the Seattle Seahawks, you have value. And when you have Chris Carson, he's really good. We don't know what's going to happen for next week. Carson was Closer to playing this week than we expected him to be. We expected him to be no chance. The fact that it was a 50-50 shot going into game time, even though he was ultimately ruled out, 
does say to you that he probably has a at least an okay chance of maybe being able to suit up next week because he's just determined to play through anything that he possibly can right now. So we're going to have to watch that. But what we do know is that if both Hyde and Carson are out, DJ Dallas will be the guy that they lean on. So that, that we do know now because we weren't sure going into this game whether it's going to be him or Travis Homer necessarily. So now we have that data to go off of heading into next week. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Last game that we're going to talk about in today's show, the Saints and the Bears. This went into overtime. Saints come in. They pull out the road win without Michael Thomas in Chicago against that tough defense. And like I, I kind of made this point before, it's not always pretty. And I was honestly, I was shocked to see the stat line on Drew Brees because it didn't look good quite a bit of the time during that game. But yeah, he still somehow managed to go 31 of 41 which was surprising to me. 280 touchdowns or 28 yards, two touchdowns. He was still solid. Now, he wasn't a guy that I was suggesting playing without Michael Thomas in Chicago. But it does give you some confidence that Breeze can still keep hanging around as a guy who can be a streaming option for you and have a decent floor. As long as he has Alvin Kamara to throw the ball to, that's really what it boils down to. Alvin Kamara was tremendous again. Now, this is the third week in a row he didn't score. So he's due for a touchdown. In fact, I think there's a pretty good chance that he comes back next week and scores two touchdowns because I think he's going to start making up some ground for the fact that he hasn't scored in three weeks. But yardage-wise, 12 carries for 67 yards. Still very efficient against a good Chicago defense. Nine catches, 96 yards on 13 targets. Over 150 yards from scrimmage. I mean, absolutely insane what this guy can do in both the rushing and the passing game. Will he lose targets when Michael Thomas finally comes back? Yes, but I kind of talked about that heading into this game last week, which is when Michael Thomas comes back and he loses some targets, I suspect Latavius Murray will lose some carries and Kamara will be a little bit more involved in the rushing game. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a give and take there. But even when Thomas comes back, Kamara's still going to be the number two pass catcher on the team. It's still going to be very similar to last year. We still don't know when Sanders is coming back. And it's not like he's been terrific anyway. We haven't really seen him on the field with Michael Thomas and how that's all going to work. Kamara will still probably be the second best pass catcher. So we're not going to worry about that too much. Latavius Maryland had eight carries in this game. It's, this wasn't a matchup for it. He's matchup dependent. In certain matchups, I think there's going to be games that you know he might have a shot at 15 carries for, and you can play him as a flex guy who might fall into the end zone once or twice. And he's one of the highest handcuffs you could possibly have. And if you have Alvin Kamara, you, you need to hope that you can try to find a way to get Latavius Murray. In fact, I would even try to find a way to consolidate into getting Latavius Murray if I possibly could in a trade. Because you want to make sure you have that production if something were to happen. But from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, until Michael Thomas comes back, this is just this is the Alvin Kamara show, and Drew Brees continues to be a streamer. On Chicago's side, David Montgomery finally had a decent day. Came off of a 38-yarder, something we haven't seen him do in a long time. 21 carries, 89 yards, 2 catches, 16 yards. Didn't score in this one, but still maintains that low-end RB2 stat line. Allen Robinson gets a little bit back on track in this one. Six catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown on seven targets. He just continues to be a guy that you have to play as a wide receiver, too. He's going to always get enough volume in this offense with Nick Foles. and might not always be pretty. might not always be on target. There might be in games where it's frustrating, but he is a wide receiver, too. 
Anthony Miller was actually the high target guy on the day. 11 targets, 8 catches, 73 yards. That's the first time we've seen that happen where he was actually targeted in a significant way like that. Not something we're counting on definitely being uh, the case moving forward. Nick Foles, in fact, really had probably one of his better games of the year as far from a stat line perspective. So again, other than Allen Robinson, I'm not trusting anybody of the pass catchers. Jimmy Graham, two catches, 13 yards, which is very disappointing. He is still a streaming option, though, because he still had seven targets in this game. He continues to be targeted a lot. And that's something you can't really ignore the tight end position at the moment. That wraps it up for the Sunday afternoon recap. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow with the Sunday night football recap, the Monday night football recap, and of course the all-important waiver wire report. We'll start to move forward into week nine, start to get you guys all set up. Everybody make sure you're tuning in for that. Follow us on your favorite streaming app or check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android or WWSRN on your iOS apps. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. I hope you get your Monday Night Miracles, and we'll be back to talk some waiver wire reports for you guys on on Tuesday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 